0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Peter with me, please, as we take a look at some of Peter's final words and the text that we've been studying for a number of months now, and in fact, our study in 1 Peter and then through 2 Peter has taken us a considerable amount of time. We'll do a quick overview of everything that we've studied and learned in 1st uh, and 2nd Peter next week as we wind down our study and get into the season which we celebrate um, the atoning work of our Savior and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to continue to live out these things that you've learned in both 1st and 2nd Peter and uh, reflect upon the nature of even the songs that we have sung this morning. Only a holy God. It fits, quite frankly, with the text that we will look at this morning. And before we pray, I'd like to read for you from this text in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in Him without spot or blemish, and at peace." And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you concerning the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen." Our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we wind down our study in this text and reflect upon some of the things that Peter has addressed in chapter 3 that You would encourage our hearts, that we would stay faithful to the text, that, that we would dig deep and understand what is transpiring, not in just the people's lives that were the recipients of this letter. Father, I pray that You would give us a perspective even in our own lives as we apply some of the things in this text to this day and age in which we live, this time of trouble this time of agitation, this time of world change, and, Father, this time in which even Your church has lost its perspective in some ways, and Your people in particular have been challenged in ways that are grievous and overwhelming. We need to hear by your spirit the words of truth. We need to connect the dots of that truth, and we need to find that believer's rest in the context of persecution, First Peter, the context of false doctrine in Second Peter, and the context of looking at life only under the sun in this text and beyond. Grant us perspective. Give us a sense of hope and promise. Remind us of the things that we've studied, and in a world that is unstable, in a world that is spinning out of control, I pray that indeed, as Your people, we will live godly and holy lives, but even more than that, I pray that we would find peace. May the peace of God rule in our hearts. May the peace of God transcend our circumstances. May the peace of God... Remove the restlessness with much of the conflict in the world today. May the truth of God that brings about that peace of God be revealed to all of us in ways that only Your Holy Spirit can. So, as we reflect upon these final words, I pray that You would encourage us and bless us in the time we spend together. We thank You in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we reflect upon these final words of Peter in Second Peter chapter 3, we're reminded of where he's been. We're reminded of the false teachers. We're reminded of some of the restlessness. We're reminded of the scoffers in the last day. We're reminded of those in the body who really aren't believers, but they masquerade as that. We're reminded that there will be voices in the church that encourage us or even teach us to live our best life now and fulfill all of our dreams and desires and and, and longings in life. And then Peter brings to a conclusion this text and confronts these false teachers with an eschatological perspective. And he says to these false teachers and even to the believers as he writes in these final words… The judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is real, yet equally real is the day of God, a time of prosperity and blessing where all of God's enemies are are put to rest, a time in which all of our works shall be exposed, everything done under the heaven. And because that time is coming, because there is a, a bigger picture, an eschatological view of an impending conclusion to the ages, we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness as Peter writes in verse 11. But as we live those lives of holiness and godliness, we're to find peace, as he says in verse 14. And in many ways, just like the recipients of, of the letter… In many ways, just like perhaps our lives today, there is a challenge that we face in finding the believer's rest and waiting. Interesting in this chapter, Peter uses the term waiting numerous times, waiting and waiting and waiting. And the question comes to my mind, and it's often a part of my thoughts, how long do we have to wait, Lord? how long. Well, I want you to know that that's not a new problem. That is a problem that has existed since Genesis chapter 3 and we can read about it all through the Old Testament and even the saints of the Old Testament. We can read about it all in the New Testament and even the saints in the New Testament who had a rest, who had a peace, who had an understanding of the realities of life and eternity, yet go through periods of challenge, go through periods of heartache, go through periods that are just hard to understand and grow restless. In verse 13, Peter encourages believers, and some of them are the same ones who received his first letter when it came to suffering and persecution. He says, but according to to His promise, meaning God's promise and this day of God when He makes all things new. But according to His promise, we are waiting. And I use the terms for that better day. And Peter doesn't use those terms, but that's what he means, that new heaven and new earth where there is no evil and there is no judgment and all things are made new and there is no more crying and there is no more tears and, and no more heartache. that's not today. I can imagine the writer, Peter, as a pastor, and he uses this term beloved over and over again, is so compassionate toward his people. He is compassionate towards those who are hurting. He's compassionate towards those who are wrestling. And Peter is even compassionate towards those who have fallen prey to error. But he's also bold about talking to that error He's also bold about talking about the importance of waiting and and gaining perspective. And in this chapter 3, he talks about the groaning of this world in which we live that will eventually end in judgment, followed by that new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says in verse 14, and in light of all of this, beloved, since you are waiting For these, and in the believer's rest, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Be at peace. When he speaks of being diligent, he is saying, make sure you're prepared, make sure you're studied, make sure you understand what's happening, make sure you maintain your perspective, make sure That you guard against these false teachers. And there really is only one way to guard against false teaching, and that is to know the true teaching, Francis Schaeffer called it, the true truth of the Word of God. We have been learning from Peter in both first and second epistle that we're to add to our faith, and he concludes the text by adding to our faith with with the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. powerful incentive for godly living is found in the reality that God has a plan, and God always works His plan, and that plan will come to pass and result in blessings for all of those who have believed. But while we are here, and while we are in this world, and while we are waiting and facing this great challenge that comes as we wait and difficult and bad things happen, we are to be without spot or blemish. She is in essence saying, don't be like these false teachers. He teaches us about them in 2 Peter chapter 2. If you want to flip back to verse 10, they are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord." But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, but their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you." And he says, you as God's people, rather than being blots and blemishes, are to be without spot, no blots, and without blemish, no blemishes. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about maintaining a perspective. He's talking about remaining diligent. He's talking about being prepared in the midst of waiting. He is encouraging God's people to wait and to wait, and to wait regardless of life's circumstances, and to find peace. Paul says in Philippians, "'Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.'" But again, even Paul in Philippians, when he tells us to be prepared and do not be anxious, he is saying there will be this battle with worry, this battle with anxiety. There will be doubts and there will be questions, but be diligent to be found in Him. Be reminded that your life is hidden in Him. Be reminded that it is truth that will reveal the darkness of the world and expose it. Be reminded that in spite of the fact that there is difficulty in this day and age, a better day is coming, and in His words, where righteousness dwells. Any of you longing for that today? (laughs) What a world we live in. Be at peace. That's not the experience of our world. Unfortunately, the greater and greater way, it's not the experience of God's people. There seems to be a restless spirit that hangs like a pall over this age in which we live. This spirit is characteristic of a deep dissatisfaction with life. We see it in a world where there is a constant demand for change. Now we are wit- witnessing it within the organized church. Many of this postmodern age, while searching for the answer to the unrest of their soul, are seeking forward in all of the wrong places. And he's warning God's people that we can fall prey to that same thing, searching for peace, searching for rest, searching for answers, searching for hope, searching for promise, but doing so in all of the wrong places. As Peter writes to these people and has that in mind, he is cautioning them not to be like those who are questioning eternity, to not be like those who are promising a day of righteousness that will soon come to pass. He's warning them of of looking for comfort and peace and joy under the sun like these false teachers who are speaking and teaching for these believers to to pursue their best life today, to do what makes them happy, to pursue life under the sun and and find some sense of of comfort and all of that. And He says, no, no, don't do that. That's a dead end. Find your peace. In what? In in him, in Christ. Find your peace in what? In the scriptures, as we add to our faith, knowledge. To knowledge, virtue, and the virtue, etc., that he talks about in chapter one of Second Peter. As we talk about this peace, there is a, a restlessness that exists in the world, but even in the church, and we see it in very potent and sometimes improbable ways. Some have heard the name of Bart Ehrman in the past. Bart Ehrman was a conservative evangelical, at least he professed to be that very same thing, who believed many of the things that we believed in his conservative life and, and set of beliefs early on in his life. The same Bart Ehrman is probably the most vocal and recognizable voice against conservative evangelicalism today against the authority of the Scripture, against the promises of God, and against so many other things that He once held to be true. In my mind, when I think about these these false teachers who were in the church but teaching something contrary, who John describes were never really a part of us, I have to believe that Bart Ehrman probably fits into that category. He was never a part of us. He was a prominent name and voice, but never really a part of us. And he walked away from and apostatized the faith and, and started to challenge the, the very meaning of Scripture and the promises of God. And there was a reason that that happened in Bart Ehrman's life. He describes it this way, if there is an all-powerful and loving God in this world, why is there so much excruciating pain and unspeakable suffering? The problem of suffering has haunted me for a very long time. Ultimately, he says, it was the reason I lost my faith. I have a different understanding of this. I don't believe Bart Ehrman lost his faith. I'm not sure he ever had that. And in fact, I believe that Bart Ehrman, even in renouncing many of the things pertaining to Scripture, including miracles that he questions today, didn't lose faith, he simply placed his faith in something else. And isn't that the crux of the matter in all of our lives? It's not a matter of of faith per se, it's a matter of what we put and place our faith in. It seems like that was the audience that Peter is writing to as he wraps up in these final words, the audience that he's writing to in this account. One of the most difficult things in life is this matter of evil. But I'm here to tell you that those who reject that there is a perfect and loving and holy God, they reject that entirely. They have no better answer for evil than we might have. In fact, theirs is hollow and deceptive and like these false teachers. But what it does is it explains to us some of the challenges and and some of the things that, that this audience, both in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, were wrestling with. For them, life was hard. For them, they're being enticed to, a, to an easier life, a, a simple life, a, a life that is more fulfilling. And they're caught in between that fulfilling life and the things that they know to be true. And some of those immature believers are falling prey to these false teachers, and their faith is being redirected, if you would. And historically, philosophers, particularly Christian philosophers, have always wrestled with this notion of evil, this notion of a best life now, this this notion of what does the believer do in the midst of persecution? What are we supposed to do in bad times? What are we supposed to do in evil days? How are you supposed to keep all of this straight in the midst of false teachers? One of the most important things for us to remember is that as human beings, mere mortals created in the image of God, we are trapped in what philosophers call this space and time dimension. We are bound by this material world of existence that we know today. And in our minds as believers, we trust in the transcendent, but we can't know that. What we can only know is today and life's experiences. And we can ask someone, well, what's going to happen tomorrow, but we're warned in Scripture that nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. We are trapped in this time and space, this here and now where life is hard sometimes. We need to learn to negotiate that and and not walk away from our faith for this day of righteousness and the new heavens and the new earth. And in spite of being bound by time and space, we must understand the eschatological perspective, and then the truth is there is a linear measurement for the time and space of this materialistic world and God's creatures. It begins in Genesis chapter 1 and it ends in the last chapter of the book of the Revelation where finally the new heavens and the new earth are upon us. And somewhere between Genesis chapter 1 and the end of the book of the Revelation are our lives that are a mere breath, a mist, if you would, a flower that sprouts and and dies tomorrow. There's a brevity to life if we don't understand this linear concept of, of God's divine plan spoken from eternity past, if we only see it in the time and in, in space of, of, of our lives today, of the heartaches that we're experiencing, of the hard times that we're going through, we get to this place that is a dead end because these false teachers and all of their promises can never soothe a broken heart can never do away with the evil that exists under the heavens and cannot answer to a transcendent God who knows the end from the beginning and does things all according to His plan and His perfect will, according to His purpose, a purpose which He reminds us of as His people is good. In time and space, it's not always good. In time and space, sometimes it's it's deep and personal. Sometimes it rocks us to the very core of our being. Sometimes it causes us to doubt and to wonder. Sometimes it causes us to question and challenge. Sometimes it may even be used against us to court us to a different kind of faith. And Peter said, don't fall for it. Don't be. don't be like the false teachers. Be without spots and blemish and be at peace. One of the things that all of us need to understand is that many of the philosophies of the world and the false teachings of these false teachers, to pursue your physical appetites, to make the most out of your world, to to question the promises of God, because after all, it hasn't happened in my lifetime. Remember what he said? Uh, this was given to the ancients, and they lived and died, and they lived and died, and nothing ever happened. How can you believe God that there's a time of judgment, and how can you believe God that there's a time of blessing? Why, why are you even hanging on to these myths? That's Bart Ehrman. But he will come to a point in time in his life, just like the false teachers of 2 Peter chapter 3, or to live life without a notion of God… To live your best life now in spite of the commands of God, to doubt God brings nothing but emptiness, and uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, chasing after the wind. You see, if there is no God, if He's not in charge, if we can't trust His promises, then there's no intrinsic dignity, there's no eternal purpose for anything that happens in our life. Whether good or bad, there is no meaning to life, but it leads to the sense of radical insignificance. In other words, what's the point? What's the point? If we're just going to live and die and we can't trust God for His promises of the future, if we're just going to live and die and we can do it on our terms and there's no consequence one way or the other, what is the point of all of this? R.C. Sproul, quite pointedly, as he always does, says, if there is no God, then human life is a cruel joke. It is a tale told by an idiot." Bart Ehrman is not an idiot. He's a very bright man who's trying to live out his existence on the terms of the false teachers, not on the terms of the Scripture, and only holy God. There's a terrible end coming for him and people like him. Peter and his pastoral voice is saying, don't listen to them it's a dead end. There's no, there's no hope in that. There's no promise in that. But again, <laughs> resting in the believer's peace and dealing with the biggest challenges in life rocks our world. Psalm writer in Psalm 13 says, how long, O oh Lord… That's that time and space dimension. How how long is this here and now going to be here and now? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's what the false teachers are saying. Forget about it. Forget what God said. It's not happened, and it's not happening. Go out and live your best life today. The psalm writer cries out, how long will you hide your face from me, God? The difference is this time and space dimension that traps us in this material world with the problems and the painful heartaches of life and robs us of this knowledge that God is transcendent and He's not bound by time and He's not bound by space and He will do whatever He wants for His glory. Isn't that exactly what He says early on in chapter 3, the day of the Lord it says a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Stop considering your life as being solely from the day you were born until the day you die. The writer of Ecclesiastes teaches us that God has set in eternity in our hearts. He has created us as beings to live for eternity. And this blip of life under the sun, as hard as it might be, is not all there is to living. Sometimes we get trapped into thinking He's forgotten us. Sometimes we get caught in this trap that He's hiding from us, but He's reminding us that all of history is moving toward a definitive point of destiny, and that destiny is the elimination of evil and all things under the sun, and a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. To hang on to that is the key. So, Peter is pleading in his final words with God's people, hang on to that. There is a second problem with men like Ehrman, and I believe a huge problem in evangelicalism today, and that is this attempt then not to jettison God or get rid of Him entirely, but to domesticate Him in some way. To make Him a little bit more like us, a a little bit more real, a little less demanding in His holiness, a little less demanding in His charge for obedience, a little less demanding by allowing bad and hard things to enter into our lives. What happens when that takes place and, and we can't make sense out of the world under the sun because we've been robbed of this transcendent, eternal kind of timeline of our existence? In evangelicalism, we we begin to reinterpret the Bible to mean something different. We're reminded by David Gibson that reinterpreting the Bible to mean something different is always a moral exercise before it is an intellectual one. Remember what these false teachers were teaching. He begins to get into this in in early in chapter 2. And if indeed this question and challenge begins as a moral exercise. They were beginning to say to God's people that there was a libertine freedom for them to do whatever they wanted to do. There were no rules. There isn't anything hard and fast. You make the rules, and you make your life, and you determine your future. And these false teachers and that morality were saying that if indeed there's a God, He is distant. He is uninvolved with our lives. He has given us this life, eat, drink, and be merry, whatever their message might be. He is turning their attention away from God, and in a moral kind of way, turning men's hearts inward to pursue those things and the passions of the flesh that were warned about in 1 John and throughout the pages of Scripture. Gibson continues, that is, if we do not like what the Bible says because it confronts us, then we will always find some way of changing what it means so it lines up with the world we want to live in instead. And what we've done is accomplished exactly what Paul warned about in Romans chapter 1. We have denied the transcendent God of the universe, and we have become the determiners of our own life. In essence, we have become God ourselves. We replace the immortal God with images of beasts and birds, and there's no greater idol in the human heart than the idol of self who wants what it wants. That warning has not been heeded by modern evangelicalism, and it wasn't being heeded by Peter's recipients, so Peter's pleading his pastor and begging them to get this reality. And then it gives them really, in my opinion, Simple admonition that has profound impact on our mindset, particularly when things aren't going, as somehow we determine they should go. Any of you have ever instructed God how things ought to be going and what He needs to do for you tomorrow? We're all guilty of that at times. Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, again reflecting on verses 8 and 9. just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Understand that life, no matter how hard it might be today, no matter how much you are challenged in your intellect, no matter how much you are bound by this space-time dimension, that there is something outside of this life and existence that you are experiencing today. There's something bigger than you and your story, and that is the God who created you, and He's trying to take their mindset away from the here and now and give them this eschatological, permanent, lifelong perspective. And he says, there's been an extended period of grace that has been granted to you and talked about even by our beloved brother Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. What was it that Paul wrote? Pauline literature is filled with exactly what Peter's trying to teach us here, that a better day is coming, that life is a challenge, that truth is truth, and to negotiate the issues of life, you must keep your faith, and you must look at life not bound by the, when you were born and when you die, but, but bound by or at least uh, lived out in some eternal kind of perspective. And even Paul says, that's not easy to do. To me, it's comforting that both Peter and Paul recognize that's not easy to do. Sometimes, in some preaching in our conservative circles, we persuade people that it's easy. There's nothing easy about life under the sun. There's nothing easy about facing life's biggest challenges and heartaches. There's nothing easy about keeping an eternal perspective, an eschatological perspective. And it's not easy because we're still creaturely. We are still bound in this space and time dimension. And there will be doubts and there will be questions. And we will cry out like the psalm writer, how long? And both Peter and Paul are saying, it won't be long. But what they're or comparing is the, the 70 or 80 years of your life to the eternal bliss and glory promise where righteousness dwells. This is a—I use the phrase, maybe overuse it sometimes. You're a bit player on a big stage, and you stand up and you play your part, and somebody steps in and takes over for you. Life is short. Our life is a breath, and we must live according to the truth of Scripture. We must live according to this eschatological, eternal kind of perspective. Paul taught that. I am teaching that. And Paul taught it by the wisdom given him, and that wisdom, of course, we know to be by the Holy Spirit. Paul made no bones about it, and I believe that Peter, in essence, is is tagging on to the Apostle Paul, saying, what we are writing to you, the matters that we are speaking on, God has spoken through us. He is talking about, verse 16, the second half, there are some things in them, meaning the Scriptures, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. Peter is saying, I am writing to you Scripture. He is saying, Paul has written to you Scripture. What we are communicating is directly from God. You must trust us, You must cling to hope, and you must long for this day of righteousness. And while you're here, be at peace. He's not saying, don't be confused. He's not saying, just kind of brush off life's problems. It's no big deal. He's not saying that the valley that you're in or the mountaintop you're in is a bad place to be. He's simply saying, put it in perspective, that's what Paul taught, that's what Peter taught, that's what we all need, particularly times of difficulty. He says in the context here that there are some things in them, meaning the Scriptures, that are hard to understand. Any of you found that to be true? Can you imagine the recipients of the letter. No, Peter, you don't understand. <laughs> You're not walking in my shoes. You don't know what I'm going through. Peter is just holding them to the scriptures, no matter how difficult they are to understand. The truth of the matter is sometimes the things in Scripture are hard to understand because there's a depth to Scripture that uh, we'll never be able to to grasp entirely. We talk about holiness, and the best that we can do is grow in our appreciation of the holiness of God, but to truly grasp the holiness of God would take an Isaiah kind of experience where we stand in His presence and, and become undone. You know, there's a time that we're going to stand in His presence, don't you? And we will sing holy, holy, holy. We will finally get it and understand. But, but Peter and Paul are saying, that's not now. That, that's, that's in the future. That's, that's in times to come. Mark Lanier reminds us that Scriptures truly reveal God, but they don't reveal Him fully. There is some mystery and some things hard to understand. And God, if You love me, then why? That's the psalm writer experience. God, if You truly care and wish for me to have peace, why did You allow this? Or why did You do this? Or, or even worse, why can't You do this? And why won't You do what we want You to do." Well, God has revealed all things necessary for people to enter into a relationship with Him. That doesn't mean that God is revealed exhaustively, but He's still God, and He's promised us that He's good, and He's promised us His goodness. And He's promised us that everything's going to be okay. And He's promised that we will dwell in righteousness where righteousness reigns. And He's promised us that all of our works will be revealed. And He's promised us that He will never leave us and forsake us. And Peter is saying, now let's put that into practice without spot or blemish. Somehow find that elusive peace. That doctrine of the Reformation, that doctrine of prescription that talks about Scripture being clear is true. All things are clear that pertain to life and godliness. But God does not exhaustively tell us everything that He knows. And boy, we wish we knew, but I'm not sure we even realize what we're wishing for. I just as soon do what we're called to do in the Scripture by Peter and by Paul and other writers, make the most of today and tomorrow sufficient for the evil thereof. Some of you think, if He would just explain it to me today and tell me what He's doing, you might not want to know what comes next. Do you know where the peace is found? Knowing that God knows, and He's ordered your steps. And you were created for eternity, not this simple existence, trapped in time and space. There's a bigger story to all of this. And sometimes, in my mind, we get trapped in this life and time and space. We get bound by this temporal experience and, and reality that it dulls our senses instead of seeing the holiness of God, we start not to take sin as seriously as we once took sin. Have you ever noticed how that can happen? That's what the false teachers were teaching. Somehow, we start to take less serious the depravity of man. We take less serious that evil exists in this world. We minimize the eschatological horror of what is coming and revealed to us in the book of the Revelation. And although in our minds we've got this all sorted out, sometimes we miss the horror of eternal judgment, and life becomes petty. It's a danger for all, all of us. It's a danger for those that He's writing to. And He says, you know, there are some things that are just hard to understand. And those things that are hard to understand will be twisted by the ignorant and the unstable. Ignorant, unstable, twisted truth seems to reign in our world today, and it has an ugly presence in evangelicalism in a way that in my 40 years of ministry has never been more pronounced than it is today. Could the answer be as simple as finding peace? Could the answer be as simple as knowing Christ? Well, Well, I believe that it is. It's one thing to know that and another thing to live that, and that is Peter's point in the text. And he is warning, there are ignorant, unstable, twisted people who will lead you astray, and it will be to their own destruction. They will take the Scriptures in a malleable kind of way and make them say what they want. But you, therefore, beloved, in 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 the total opposite and contrary to them, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. The reality of the last days is upon us. This day of judgment is coming. The promise of the day of God is, is real. But until that day, take care, guard yourselves, mind your business, and do not be swept away by the teaching. Of these false teachers and and doubting the truth of Scripture and living life on your terms only. There's a phrase there that just strikes me, and that is knowing this beforehand. Some of you wonder, why do we come to church? It's It's just about opening the Bible and take your Bibles, please. And I need more than that. No, what we're doing. It's the best to the best of our ability it is teaching and equipping and preparing you for the day that the world falls on you. Because the mistake that most people in our culture make is they only call upon God when they need Him, but their minds are devoid of the truth, and God has been absent in their life, and then they wonder why He doesn't rush to their demand. Their God is too small. He's this genie kind of God that that is at their beck and whim. That's not God. You need to get ready today before those times come. And that's what undoes most of these immature believers and causes them to doubt funny thing about life, though, and knowing beforehand, you can know all of the truth of Scripture. You can know the promises of God and still get crushed in the wave of evil and disappointment and heartache. For those who will rebound and survive, they will know beforehand that everything is going to be okay. Augustine once said, Almighty God, You have made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find the rest in You. And sometimes finding that rest and dealing with life creates the perfect Storm. That's why Peter is writing. That's why he's teaching these things. That's why he's encouraging us. So he says, Prepare. It's, it's coming. Life is hard sometimes. Don't lose your stability, your secure position in Christ, your footing grounded in the scripture, your ability, even in the midst of a storm, to know that it will pass and everything will be okay. How do you know that? Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to grow in grace? Grow beyond that initial point of salvation where you understand that God in saving you has given you an unmerited favor that is rooted in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has rescued you before the foundation of the world from your sin. He has promised you a better day. That day is coming where righteousness dwells, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But to know that when you're saved… Will not sustain you 10 years into it when life seems to get harder and harder and harder. You have to continue to grow in grace. You need to be diligent in in your spiritual growth and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That ability to, to grasp the truth of the Word of God, that ability to trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, to acknowledge His Lordship. There's a reason that Paul. There's a reason that Peter, there's a reason that Old Testament and New Testament writers always talked about the sovereignty of God, and it was for this very reason. Where do you go when life is hard if you don't believe that God has everything under control? Where do you go? Peter said, here's where you go, to your Lord, the Sovereign Master of the universe. To your Savior, who through His precious blood has rescued you from this life and this world and your sin, to Jesus Christ, this promised Messiah that makes all things new, that must be your focus. The persecution, times of spiritual decline, times of personal tragedy, and times of doubt, but grow in the grace the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But do that beforehand because you can be so overtaken by the storm that you lose your bearings. But Jesus says, nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can pluck you from my Father's hand. Nothing can take away the salvation that i secured for you and my very own blood. Nothing can make that spirit depart from You, so beloved." Hang on even when it's hard to understand. Hang on when people are whispering in your ear this twisted kind of truth. Hang on to the truth in which you've grounded your life, and know before you ever get to those trials what's what, and and cling to that truth, and to Him, meaning Jesus, be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Glory both now and the day of eternity. We'll finish with this. A couple of Scriptures come to my mind. Today, Paul writes to the church of Philippi, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Although though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Made himself, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the now. We learn as God's people to bow in the presence of our King and rest that a day of righteousness is coming. And I know it's hard to do, but we must cling to that. And when that day of righteousness comes, it will be a glorious day. And John, in his book of Revelation, writes, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked. This is what Peter was telling us. And then I looked around the throne and the living creatures and the elders with the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever, and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Peter is saying, it's going to be okay, and Jesus Christ will be glorified both now and eternity Forever. And he finishes the text by saying, Amen, let it be so. This is real. You can trust it. Everything's going to be okay. I think this is so timely for our world today. So timely for evangelicalism today. Maybe so timely for you and your life today. And maybe right now you're on that mountaintop somewhere. Maybe life is going smoothly for you. I will remind you as we close with Peter's admonition, for this very reason, preparing for that day, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and with steadfastness, godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, it reminds me of what he says in the end of the text, knowing beforehand, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so in your life and in my life. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for its promises. Thank You for the glory of our King. Thank You for the life that You've given us, even when it's hard. Thank You when life becomes hardest, you are there. Thank you for bringing people into our lives who call us beloved and remind us of those things when the day grows dark and you seem silent. Teach us to live outside of this time, space, life, and existence with an eschatological perspective that says even… If it doesn't happen in this lifetime, a better day is coming where righteousness dwells. And then, grant us and bless us that believer's peace that Peter promises in Christ alone. So today, we bow and we worship and we thank you for everything, being reminded that you know the end from the beginning and you're good all the time. And thank you for the promise that one day we will gather together at your feet, at the foot of the throne, with all of your people of all the ages, singing, holy, holy, holy. Like the people who receive this letter, increase our faith and teach us to be at peace. May the peace of God rule in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.